All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are, episode 290 of Life in the Stocks, 290. That's a lot of episodes, isn't it? And I have to say, I can honestly say, this is one of my favorite conversations to date. And I'm, I'm, I'm both amazed and thrilled that I can be this far into the show and still be conducting, I think, my best work and my favorite chats as well. Not just a recent favorite, but an all-time favorite. This guest is awesome. Uh, more on him in a moment. Just wanted to very quickly mention and highlight the fact that if this introduction sounds a little different to the quality of the usual microphones you're used to hearing, uh, it's because I am currently in transit. Uh, I'm doing a lot of traveling between Bristol, Birmingham, and London at the moment, so I've got my podcast travel set up with me. Um, so if the if the, the quality is inferior to what you're used to, then that is why. But fear not, because the interview itself was done using my my usual mic. So yeah. And let's talk about this interview. So for me, I felt this way for a long time, and it's been one of the, I guess, greatest causes of sadness and and sometimes loneliness in my life is I really feel like I don't have any peers in the world of presenting and and broadcasting and DJing even. Um, There's certainly podcasts in the UK that I respect and admire and, and, and are hosted by people that I would call friends and I've been on many podcasts and have grown to know and and love a lot of podcasters here in the UK but if I can say so without sounding conceited I feel like there's very few people at least very few people that I've gotten to know that do what I do in the way that I do it and approach it the same way as I approach it and that all changed when I got to know this man who joins me for episode 200 and 90 of Life in the Stocks, Canadian broadcaster George Strombolopoulos. Strombo, as he's affectionately known by his audience, and I'm sure some of his friends. I referred to him as George in the interview. I'm sure he was happy with that. Um, The way our connection began is somebody was on my show and they shared an episode saying, "I'm, I'm on Matt's podcast. Then George started following me. And whenever somebody with like a blue tick next to their name follows me, my curiosity is always peaked and I you know, went to his page. I'd never heard of him before because I, I've never been to Canada. I didn't grow up watching Canadian television. Um, he was, by all accounts, a mainstay on Canadian television throughout the noughties. He worked as a VJ on a, a station called Much Music, which, if I can guess, would be like the Canadian equivalent of MTV. He was also the host of a major chat show. Again, I'm very ignorant when it comes to to Canadian culture, but I gather the chat show he hosted for about 10 years or so in the the mid-noughties was the biggest chat show in Canada at that time. Uh, And he's done a bunch of stuff for the NHL and and for hockey and sports as well. So a very versatile, a very accomplished, a very respected and a very gifted broadcaster. And I started following him back. I love watching and, and and viewing his posts that he shares on Instagram. He makes amazing reels and videos, and he's always sharing archive interview clips from so many of the legends that he's interviewed throughout his life. And we talk about many of those people in the conversation you're about to hear, um, people I could only dream of interviewing. Um, some of them are deceased now as well, people like Lemmy, Joe Strummer, Dolly Parton, Robert Plant, like this dude. If you think I've interviewed a lot of people, it is a blip in the ocean 
compared to, is that a phrase? A drop in the ocean, a blip in space compared to how many people George has interviewed. And he's a great interviewer and just a great human being, a great humanitarian as well. We had such a fascinating and interesting talk about the art of interviewing. And it was just, it was such a joy for me to talk to somebody who loves it as much as I do, who comes at it with the same level of passion and authenticity and interest curiosity it's very rare that i meet people who care about conversation in the same way and i really felt like through the conversation with george that i'd met finally a kindred spirit and it was so good to sit down and and talk with him for nearly 90 minutes all about interviewing all about life and i look forward to many more conversations with him in the years to come Uh, And if you're not already, please check out his Instagram page. I'll throw a link to that in the episode description and be sure to listen to his amazing show on Apple Music. I love this interview. I really hope you enjoy it as well. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to stop yapping on and we'll get into it. Here it is, episode 290 of Life in the Stocks with legendary, I don't mind saying it, broadcaster and now new friend, Mr. George Strombolopoulos, a.k.a. Strombo. Enjoy the show. I was calling through a festival way out west. I was thinking about love and the acid test. But first I got real dizzy with a real rocking gang. And then I saw the coma girl. On the excitement gang And the rain came in from the wide blue yonder Through all the stages I wandered Oh, come on, On the excitement gang What's up, George? Nothing, brother. How are you? I'm doing all right. I've got a bit of a cold coming on, feeling a little bit oh, under the weather, but there was no way on earth I was cancelling this because I've been looking oh. forward to this all week. Man, you, I mean, I could reschedule anytime you want if you, if you need to. No, no, I'm ready to go, mate. I've been immersing myself in your world, your history. In the Sorry lead to up, hear that. And <laughs> the lead up to this chat. And I guess as anybody who's tuned into this with a discerning ear will be able to tell, I'm obviously from the UK, so I didn't grow up you know, watching you, I wasn't familiar with your work until the wonderful world of social media comes along and we get connected via Instagram. And since following you on there and and kind of checking what you share, not just new stuff, but archive and, and vault footage and interviews as well, I just got to say right out the gate, mate, there's not many people in my life that have inspired me in this field. Um, Zane Lowe for me, who I know you're friends with, obviously you're on Apple Music now. He was somebody that I studied with great intent. Um, about 10 years ago now, I used to host the evening show on Kerrang Radio, and that was a 7 till 10 p.m. slot here in the UK. And Zane was on at exactly the same time. And what I would do every night after I finished my show, if I wasn't going on to a gig and going out, is I would go home and listen to his show on the BBC iPlayer, listen to it back and check out not just what he was playing to get inspiration for bands and music, but listen to the way he would set up, you know, a play and present music. And I just think he's one of, if not the greatest 
radio broadcasters of all time. He is an outright legend and the top tier for me. And other than him, there hasn't really been anybody that I've just been blown away by until you, my friend. Uh, and honestly, your approach to this business, not just in the craft and the work itself, but just in your general philosophy and, and you know, value and, and everything that you project and put out, it is, I'm just grateful that I've discovered you, man, and come across your work and, and you as a person. Yeah. You're very kind to say all that. And I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. I, I it, right, it was on Instagram, I think, where I first saw you and I started to check out what you were doing. And I loved your interviews and not just your interviews, but I loved who you chose to speak to. Because I think a lot of times when you, there's a million interviewers out there, right? There's a million ways to go and learn about somebody, but the curation of the guest list is maybe as important to me. And I noticed that, I mean, you were just so connected to the truth of all this, of what we love. And I think that, and you understood you just understood how to bring the legends on, but also to to round out the experience. And I'm grateful for it. So I'm, I'm happy to find you. It's funny you talk about Zane that way, because when I was, uh, Zane and I have had very similar careers in different countries. Uh, and when I, I think it might have been the MySpace era, um, or when Zane and I at first started following each other online, because we would listen to each other's stuff. And it's the same, it's the same thing. Because you know what it is, it's kindreds, right? Finding somebody who sort of has the same energy as you and the same passion as you and maybe the same delivery as you and and just feeling like like you're part of that that community and i think it's really important i'm grateful to be here with you when you reached out i was happy to say yes thank you hell yeah man well listen there's so much to talk about i know time isn't exactly tight but there's there's so much i want to try and cover so i'm just going to blaze on in but i think i'd like to start with with the craft with the work itself if that's all right and where you first were exposed or switched on to the art of interviewing um and was that the first thing that captured your imagination or was it music first and doing radio and then interviewing came as a you know a result of that yeah you know i i used to watch interviews as a kid i, I didn't grow up with uh i'm old enough that you know obviously way before the internet but we didn't have cable tv i barely had a television um but in toronto uh what, what we were very lucky is that in at the time a lot of canadian broadcasts were uh, influenced by what was happening in the UK and so there was I think he was Irish but he had a show in England called uh, Dave Allen at large and I used to watch Dave Allen and I loved Dave Allen's uh, presentation on the air and how irreverent and controversial he was so Dave Allen was a big influence on me um, definitely and but I never thought about interviewing to be honest with you I never thought about a career in the media because I never thought you could actually get a job in the media it never even occurred to me that it was a thing you could do <clears throat> I was driving a forklift at the airport in Toronto and working at a movie theater as an usher that was kind of my game and I sort of figured that was going to be the extent of my my life and I was fine with that because I, I like I said I didn't grow up in a family where careers were what we talked about you just had jobs and somehow I I lucked into finding out that you could take radio broadcasting in school. I didn't know that. So I was working at this movie theater next to this adult learning center where I signed up basically to go get a motorcycle license. And that's where I saw you could do radio. 
and I got into radio and I didn't really think about being an interviewer like at all. I just thought I would go on the radio and play songs and tell stories about music because that's really what mattered to me. And I used to go to bed at night listening to radio. Like I said, didn't have a lot of television, didn't have a lot of money. Radio was free. So late night radio back in that era was really incredible and really avant-garde and really pushed boundaries, not just musically, but also with the content the DJs were talking about. It was a real community. So I, I just thought I would, I'd like to, you know, add my paintbrush to the canvas of that uh, masterpiece that they did over the years. And somehow I started to interview people and it was largely because I just saw an opportunity. I was working at a sports radio station and the NBA had come to Toronto and there weren't that many people who loved basketball in traditional sports media. They were all basically hockey and baseball guys. Right. And I, to me, the connection between music and basketball was pretty intense, hip hop and all that. So I I just started interviewing there. So I actually learned how to interview by speaking with athletes right. at the time. And that kind of got me a job at a music radio station and then from there a TV station. And I started to continue to interview people. But it's funny, I never really thought of myself as an interviewer at all uh, until I got a late night talk show. Because even when I worked in music television, I just felt like what I was doing was excavating moments from these important artists. I, I kind of call it emotional archaeology, what I do. But really, it's just about keeping people company at home about a hell of a day. And if if I, I remember listening to the Jesus and Mary chain on an interview when I was a kid, and of course, Joe Strummer a bunch, and th there's these little gems that they drop that stay with you for the rest of your life. So I figured it was my job to try to pull some of those out and let the next wave of people hear those gems and move on. That's kind of how it all started. So I, st even though I am an interviewer and I have conversationalist by trade, I still don't really think that that's what I do. I, I kind of feel like my job is to just be present with you in this moment and talk about things that, that are bigger than the song because the song is masterful in itself. It doesn't, we don't need to talk about the baseline all the time. Yeah, because not everybody can understand the complexity of the baseline, but what they can understand is where it came from, and so that's that's just what I've always been doing. That's kind of how I got into it. Well, music first and foremost is an emotional medium, right? And it's what it stirs up within you. And film, right? Like yeah, yeah, me, yeah. Well, film, art as a, as a yeah. canvas, totally. right? Yeah, and you know that the the music that I was listening to in the seventies and the early eighties, it was also the rise of really great uh, independent cinema in this part of the world, where I am. New Hollywood. Yeah, I love yeah. that period, man. Totally. And European cinema has always been, it still is the best and by a million miles. But that time, the music, and then, you know, you get into the Jim Jarmusch era where music was really intertwined. And so all of a sudden you're watching Tom Waits act in a film and then Joe Strummer's in a Jarmusch and you're looking at this going, ah, this is, this is really a, it's the story of us. And I really, I really valued that. Right. Um, so yeah, that that definitely was the that the art the art was a real driver for me. I think what you talk about there in regards to interviewing is exactly what it's all about for me is is creating these spaces and giving hugely inspirational, talented, creative powerhouse uh, you know, individuals the the platform to share what's already in them and you know has perhaps come out in their work, but it's hearing those philosophies and and turns of phrase that really back up what creative viewpoint they're coming from and um and to challenge them and to challenge them to to be responsible with that platform right that it's not just about giving them the opportunity to share it's about making sure 
that they realize that this isn't about them and this isn't about me. This is about the space between us and the people that are watching. Mm. And so it's it's really, I'll always say this about the audience and the artist. I'll meet you halfway, but but I'll only meet you halfway. Your job is to do the is to do the work too. This yeah. is not, I I hate celebrity culture for the sake of celebrity. I hate oh my god how fabulous is everything. I hate that. It because it it doesn't ring true. You know when the world caught fire and you know this dude with the music you, you love it and you love all kinds of stuff. But you got Zappa on your patch, right? Zappa's been telling us about this shit for a long time. Like we, so to me, music is is not just the thing I listen to to feel better. It's the thing that that kind of pushes us forward. And I feel like the artists have an an obligation to to be about something in many respects. And so yeah, definitely all that played into it. Did you find your feet fairly early on? Did you take to engaging with people on a you know a public platform out the gate? Was it something you had to work at? Because I I think for me, obviously you improve in the act of doing and you get better as time goes on, and nobody starts out you know fully rounded. But I think if you have an innate inbuilt curiosity to start, it's already given you a kind of a bit of a head start in that regard. Is you know you you want to draw out these topics from people and. Even when I was, no, my first ever interview, I'd love to know yours as well in a sec. My first ever, ever interview over the phone was with Taylor Hawkins. Oh. Uh, and I was so nervous because I was 22. I'd never worked in broadcasting before. I was given this show on Koran kind of just really with from the good faith of the program director that believed in me and gave me this op- incredible opportunity. And um, we got a great interview, me and Taylor, but I sounded like such a bumbling wreck. I actually re-recorded all my questions. They were the same. I just recorded them with a sense of conviction and confidence in my voice and then kept his answers in. But right out the gate, I was like, I can ask good questions. I know I can. And I mean, for you, who was your who was your first significant interview and, and what's your your memories of, you know, what you went into it feeling and what you came out of it gaining? I feel you know, I was my very first interviews that I did, I think, were there was a, an amazing circus sideshow act, the Turtle Lollapalooza, called the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow. And I interviewed Jim. I interviewed uh, Jennifer Finch from L7 early, early in the pre warp tour days. There was a tour called Ramp Rage, right? And I interviewed her when I was just a kid. My first interview, like one on one real interview, was with Scotty Pippen of the Chicago Bulls, if you can imagine. Wow. <laughs> And I was just because I saw him sitting there and I said, can I can I talk to you? And he said, sure. But as. As I started to when I'm just trying to think when I got into a music radio station, you know, it's funny. I interviewed a guy. Um, and I there was this host who had been, you know, uh, uh, fired and she was amazing. But the boss, you know, radio is radio. And so he made a change and he gave me this interview slot. Uh, and everybody in the radio station was a bit surprised that he gave the kid this interview slot because there was no re- they didn't know who I was I just sort of came from nowhere um but my curiosity about a lot of subjects is why I got the job that's what the boss told me in the very first interview I interviewed a musician in Canada who showed up took his sweater off and on his t-shirt he had written reinstate the person that I just replaced so wow. my first interview was it was a fuck you to me right <laughs> but I didn't I didn't mind it I understood it right because because it was punk it was punk to, to to defend that to defend your friend who was and i so i was totally fine with it but i think in that era it became my early interviews were blur 
Silver Chair, and Oasis. That's how it started for me in radio. Uh, Blur, Oasis, and Silver Chair, I think, are the big ones that got me going. Well, how, the Gallagher's were they on peak Gallagher form back in those days? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I I don't know what it's. I don't have children, so I don't know what it's like to feel joy from children. But I can only imagine. I feel lots of joy from motorcycles and other things. But I feel like very little brought me joy. Uh, quite like uh, Noel Gallagher, just riffing. He was the best, and he was gracious. Also, Noel Noel's the kind of guy that you can't mess around with, right? You have to know your stuff to talk to Noel. And so, and same with Damon in that era, right? Uh, and 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 if you think about what was going on with um, with Silverchair and they were so young, those were three groups of people that you had to have very different approaches with. One was bombastic, one was laid back, others were children. So they were in fine form, all of them, but it was work. And, you know, I, I remember one of the bosses at the radio station hearing uh, an interview I did with Silverchair. I might've been 24 years old. And he said, uh-oh, we're in trouble. He didn't think I could be an interviewer, right? But you know what it's like, dude. The streets are littered with the bodies of people who underestimate you, right? And also that what they underestimated was the approach to craft and how much work this is. And I just put the work in every day. I got better, of course, but uh, but I always felt comfortable. And I think, you know, so to round back to your question, I, I didn't have the craft or the experience in the beginning, but I was always comfortable uh, talking to people in the way that I am talking to anybody because as shy as I am as a person in many respects. Are you still and, that way? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm not so much shy anymore as I, I'm very much an introvert. I don't really, I don't really, like I can feed off of the energy of people and all that, but my default position is to be at home alone, playing my synth, playing my piano, playing drums, watching a TV show, like listening to music, playing records. I can entertain myself for hours and hours playing records with headphones on and not even think about you know, the outside world. I don't party as much as I used to. I still, mostly because I find that most raves, the DJ sets are really boring and uninspired. So I don't go to those as much as I used to because they don't play the same kind of stuff, you know. But I, so my default is just to kind of disappear into myself. And when I'm doing an interview, I feel like I'm just having a one-on-one. -on -one, and I think that was always my approach. It's just, it's just us. None of this matters. Like, let's just, let's get to the truth of this. And I've I've kind of always, approach it like and dude as you know you, you get it wrong a lot right like i i didn't i wasn't any good at this you know and i'm not sure that i'm good at it now but what i am is committed to the work and i'm committed to the craft and and i don't think that it's not as cynical as saying you're only as good as your last thing because that's not true because your last thing there's so many variables that play a role but i think you're only as good as your effort and and your passion and your and your honesty and i kind of I try to nurture that a lot in myself as a human so I can be like that around people. Yeah, I think intent is really everything. And I think the yeah. discerning real people out there can tell if you mean it and you believe it and you're passionate. And what's interesting, not to go too much down this rabbit hole, but just to kind of throw this in the mix, there's so much insincerity around in, in influencer culture and online culture for me today. And I do often just look at some of these people who have huge followings. And I think like, do people not see through that bullshit? Like what's wrong with them if they don't, but you can, you know, you can get stuck into that kind of train of thought and, and go to, you know, a bit of a negative headspace. So I, I try and pull back from that, but yeah, it's interesting to I me. Th I think there, 
I wonder that too, but then I, I started to look at it this way, and I don't know that this is the right way to look at it, but when when things were really hot, you know, globally in the last couple of years, right? Uh, certainly in, in in the United States, you know, after the police murdered George Floyd, and and you know, it was just another um, heartbreaking, unjust killing, and you saw what took place in the streets. And the Me it, Too movement was really kind it, of peaking yeah. around that same time, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the pandemic, the distrust. All so when everything was happening, it was one of the first times in my lifetime where the musicians weren't offering much. The pop, the popular ones, where the popular ones had very little to say culturally. It, in the United States and Canada, it was athletes that actually took the lead which was shocking. That had never happened before, but it was athletes. I mean, it had happened individually, but I'm talking about on the big team sports, you know, it, there was something that shifted here. And what I started to realize, it's not that people can't see through it. I think that people have finally wised up to the fact that celebrities are just that. They are just that. So they stopped they stopped expecting celebrities to be anything other than just because what are what is most influencer culture It's most of it is either get famous in it for a niche, which I love. Like, I, I mean, I, I. I can name 10 motorcycle YouTubers, right, that I watch more than anything else on television. Right. So and, you know, in camping and stuff. So there's that. But then there's just people who get famous and then sell you products, mm -hmm. which is kind of what TV shows always where it's where we did in radio. If we played commercials, like we were really just there so they could sell, so the radio station could sell commercials. And we got lucky that they let us play songs in the middle of that. So I think that what happened in this era was a lot of people just looked at what celebrities had become and go, fuck it, that's just who they are. You know, and I think we're for people like you and I and, and a lot of your the people watching this, we grew up in this really sweet spot era where where the people who topped the pop charts. We're actually people changing the world. There's a great article that just came out where The Edge was talking about Bono and Bono's politics. And a lot of people criticize you two and a lot of people criticize Bono and all that stuff. But how many rock stars can you say actually save lives that actually got a, a president of the United States to untie aid? And they rip him because they think he's this or they think he's that, but actually saving lives. Like we grew up in an era and they were at the top of the charts. So how 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 lucky were we? <laughs> that some of these massive artists, I mean, I'm, I'm a lot older than you, but in that era, like they were still, you know, you had Kurt Cobain going on stage telling homophobic fans and misogynist fans to stop listening to their music, you know, contrast that to, uh, I go to Coachella and these gigantic main stage acts who are saying all kinds of awful things on stage. And you're like, right, because the era doesn't care anymore from artists. They don't care about it from artists. They find their inspiration elsewhere. I just think that, that's what's really changed is that people still need that inspiration and that revolution and they get it. They just don't always get it from musicians anymore um, because I think the industry just became more of the industry. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Talking about artists and I don't want to focus too long on this because it can get a little bit crass, but I'm asking you to, if you don't mind yep. share with me some of your favorite moments over the years that have sprung from interview scenarios um from from heroes that have become friends perhaps or just you know people out of the blue that you didn't expect to be as blown away by as you were 
and things you learned and took away from those conversations, relationships that developed. I mean, there must be tons for you, um, but some that really stand out because I'm really intrigued to hear, um, you know, I mean, looking through the people you spoke to over the years and I've had the pleasure myself of speaking to a lot of great people, but your list is, is phenomenal, man. <laughs> I was very lucky. You know what I learned um, is the value of courage and 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 they don't always say it outright, but talking to Robert Plant, talking to Joe Strummer, like Robert Plant came to my house. I uh, just watched that video earlier on today. And, and I, I, mean, I want to talk to you about that in a bit as well, because just, you know, like, setting that show up in your house is, is legendary. That blew my mind when Robert Plant walked through the front door and when James Hetfield walked through the front door and when Grandmaster Flash did. But what I learned from them without them saying it, it really stays with me. And I learned it from Noel Gallagher as well, is the, you, you reach a point where the shadows behind you are taller than you need them to be if you have any success in your, in your life, your career. And you have to decide if you're going to look at those shadows and try to recreate that or if you're just going to keep going forward and do the things that are interesting to you. And it's hard, you know, you, know, you and I, we have platforms and so you have a public eye and so there's this you have you have a moment where you gain an audience and then you try to cultivate the audience you try to maintain the audience you try to grow the audience but then culture changes and then maybe you're not the hot thing anymore and you're like oh what do i what do i do shit do i go back and no you don't the the, the secret is stay true to you the thing that got you to work in the first place and as trends come and go and things ebb and flow if you stay true to you, knowing not your sound, not just you, your core values, that will that will serve you well in the end. Because flashes in the pan are flashes in the pan, and, but to have actual longevity, you 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 can't be chasing that thing all the time. And Robert Plant talked to me about that, um, and it really it really hit me. It really hit me. Joe Strummer said to me once, he's like. Just don't forget you're alive. And he and he said, I know that's simple, but just don't forget you're alive and what a gift that is. And every now and then I I, I go back to that. He's like, You're alive, man. And uh yesterday, depending on when this airs, but we uh was uh, uh Maya Angelo's birthday. She would have been 95. And I was in doc Dr. Maya Angelo's house a few months before she passed away. We had a conversation and she said something. Um, and she said it before to other people, but she's Whenever she has to do something that may be a challenge for her or make her feel uncomfortable or push her or or just be a lot, she thinks of everybody who has ever loved who ever loved her and everybody who was ever kind to her. And, he, and whether they're alive or dead. And she says, come on, I need you with me right now. And she says, no matter where you go, you're never alone because a lot of people who are kind to you are still kind to you and are still with you. And that really, that stuck with me. That really stuck with me. Um, that that you can get in your own way, but the artists who are the best and who are the ones who are the happiest are the ones who know how to get out of their own way. And I learned that from a lot. Noel Gallagher, same thing. Noel Gallagher knows how to get out of his own way. You reminded me of something there because you know I'm looking at all the musicians you've interviewed and people like Dolly Parton and just you know icons and and people I'd love to talk to. But you've also spoken to you know, world leaders and spiritual figureheads and so many, 
you know, I don't want to say era defining, but so many beyond culture, almost people um, outside of music. And uh, when you start expanding and spreading your wings in that way, is that a heavy burden? Is it one you relish and, and, and take on with, you know, gusto and enthusiasm? Because there's a popular phrase now, and I don't like it, but imposter syndrome, it's not something I subscribe to. I, th I think if you're at the table, you've earned your place there. Uh, and it's all in the preparation you do. But when you begin to interview, you know, politicians and, and people like Maya Angelou and people like that, what's going through your mind in the lead up to the chats and then during those conversations? Do you approach it the same way? A uh, sort of, but I approach it the same way in, in, in uh, at the base level, right? Which is two human beings or two humans being, as they say, but it's different in one respect. Uh, uh, a world leader, a religious leader, a CEO of a publicly traded company have a responsibility to answer questions. An artist has a responsibility to represent themselves. And it's so they have different burdens of proof. The An artist who says incendiary things, who enters an arena where people can get hurt because of what they do or can thrive because of what they do, they have opened themselves up to have responsibility as well, but that's different. Um, so I approach a CEO of a publicly traded company and a politician very differently in the mechanics of the interview, definitely. Uh, so I don't, with Maya Angelou, I know that I was prepared for that conversation because I, <clears throat> you practice your whole life to sit down with somebody like that, you know, in a way as a human being. And I feel like, Anybody without a camera could sit down and talk to Maya and she's so gracious and you could get things and you could have a real, if you're present, you could have a real conversation with her. But you certainly feel like, I better not screw this one up. Right. You know, you definitely <laughs> feel that. I, I, I agree with you about imposter syndrome. I don't have it. I feel like if imposter syndrome is really ego and ego, I feel like if you want to really elevate conversation, you have to do that work inside first or as part of your journey. And so if I, I never felt imposter syndrome, nor do I have any sense of grand, I don't feel like I deserve any, it's not that. Uh, I feel like this is, I'm just a, I've all, okay, I, this is a name drop and I forgive me, but we're talking about interviews. I was standing next to Neil Armstrong one day, who was, uh, you know, first man to walk on the moon. And I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah. And we were, we were, we were talking about, uh, we were just talking about that day and you know he kept referring to it as a tech I was is this is this in a work context where is this no just as in a in a, in a casual context and right. he said to me i was just a technician going to the job site and he said you you got to think about it that way because if you think about it other than that in another way it's too much so i'm just a technician going to the job site and i i that stays with me a lot so when I approach conversations, I approach my career and who I'm, no matter who I'm sitting with, I'm a technician going to a job site, right? I'm like, let's go. I don't, I don't feel like being on TV is anything, you know, my, my grandmother was never on TV. My grandmother's more awesome than anybody I ever met. So I, I don't have that kind of thing. But, but if you're walking into an interview with somebody who is problematic, you, you have to be prepared to go at them. And so you're definitely approached that differently because once you're, you know, if you're one-on-one -on -one with a person, they can charm you and you can you fucking lose the plot. And suddenly they just platformed and you didn't hold them to account. 
So you kind of have to approach that a little bit differently. You can't lose sight of what it is you need to do in that conversation. Um, but with artists, storytellers, filmmakers, and all, it's it's a little different. It's a little different, right? You you start with their work, but then you take it to their themes, and then their answers. And you know, this an interview is really not so much about the question as much as it is about the follow up question. How much were you paying attention? That kind of stuff. That's where you kind of have to do the heavy lifting. Um, and and sort of shut out the fact that you're in the that you're on TV or you're on the radio or you're on a podcast or whatever. You have to really be focused. It's just really so. Yeah, I have different approaches with both, but they both come from the same places, which is we need the truth. Yeah, you again. You touched on something interesting there because early on, I just have a list of questions, right? And my goal would be to get through them all. Same, same. But, but then, then you realize as time goes on, it's like you miss a window where you could have asked the most interesting question of the whole interview because you're so focused on your script. And yeah. when yeah. you actually become present to the moment, as you've been talking about, and you see an opportunity for the conversation to go in a new direction just based on where it's at then and there, and, and that's where the magic happens for me. 100%. And what, you, what I like about that approach is you have to really be prepared for any eventuality. And every eventuality and so that puts a lot of work on you to to make sure you've done that work and then you have to trust that it'll be okay mm. right <laughs> you when it goes in a direction you're not prepared for i mean i kind of feel like the best conversationalists are the people who are the most curious people yeah absolutely you know if if it's just the job if it's i mean i know we're just a technician on job site but if 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 you approach human beings transactionally which i think a lot of interviews are or even you, worse than that the host becomes the focus in their own mind and it's about yeah. them and their um you know i used to, yeah I, I mean i used to say it's manifesto all yeah we don't like if you think about it we already have the show so we have nothing to prove your presence is the, is the win so that's you're done right that's covered you you yeah i just really i i really think that life is really challenging for so many people and if they're going to be so gracious as to choose to spend part of their day with you it, it can't be about you it's got to be about us and i know that sounds bullshitty and earnest and all that but man i mean i think about all i think about how great the gang lyrics are you know in avenues and alleyways by rancid oh man when, when everybody chants together i think about the I think about how beautiful it is when you're in a in a sports arena and your team scores or there's a massive hit and everybody comes together and rises. I love the together of this. And I I think you kind of have to you're, you use the right word exactly, intentionality. You have to be, I think, you ought to be intentional about this. And for me, the intention is it's about the us. Because Matt, in in Think about the best movie from 1950, right? The best movie, the one that won the Oscars, the one that had the, you know, the biggest box, whatever it was, you know, whatever it was. Watch that movie again and look at the credits. You might know one or two names on that credit list. You might. But a lot of those people did the red carpet, had flashbulbs going off in their face. Their moms or dads did local interviews in their local papers. But we who are in this business might know only one or two of those names. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like it's no one's going to remember us but they're going to remember it and nor should they 
what they should remember is how it how it felt when they experienced it. How did it feel? That's I think our job. Um, and so I really I really want to stay focused on that when I do this. And again, you have different stages of your career where you're doing too many interviews. You don't have the amount of time. You just when I was doing that late night talk show, you know, we were doing hundreds of episodes a year and you know, three interviews a night, sometimes 12, 15, 20 interviews in a week. It's really hard to kind of like, oh, am I doing this right? So you have to be, that's why I'm very selective now about how I do it because I want to give it my all and I want to give that person the right attention, you know, and, and, and you don't always get it right. Sometimes you don't. Well, that's the interesting thing with interviewing, isn't it? Is there is no right way. There's a wrong way for sure. There's things to, yeah, you can blow it, yeah. there's <laughs> things to definitely not do, but there's no one set correct way and so you can be in your head and go is this going well i don't know and what you just said there for me that's what pulled me out of a really dark deep depression that i was in for quite a long time is the acknowledgement the absolute acknowledgement that it is all not in a nihilistic destructive you know down beat kind of way but that it's all ultimately meaningless and so just make the most of what you have here and now enjoy it and, and that's it, because at the end of the day, in a hundred years, unless you have kids and they have kids and, and your stories are told around the dinner table, which probably what then won't even happen. But, you know, unless you keep that family legacy going in a hundred years, nobody's going to know anything you know about, people, about me. <laughs> you know what Joe Strummer said to me one day? He said so many artists. This is I, I interviewed him maybe a year before he passed so the early 2000s. And he said so many artists are trying to be timeless. He said, fuck that. Your responsibility is to be of your time. Let history sort out the rest. Your job is for these people now. Mm. And I, you know, when Joe says it, you take it seriously. <laughs> I sure I, did. I love him. Did you get to spend a lot of time with him? And not a lot. Some, just, a few, no. just a few days here and there. Yeah, not a lot. Um, but uh, did you? He he, like was, yeah, he, I mean, I did this morning. I did an interview with Paul Simonet. And uh and you know the clash the pistols crass obviously the fits had enormous impacts on me when i was really young i mean how how i don't know how old you are i'm 50 and i seven i'm i was like five six years old when all of that started to hit the shores of toronto and then i was 10 when slayer venom and metallica hit so uh, like from five to ten i feel and and also the beginning of hip hop, but really hip hop in the early days was obviously really important for me. Public Enemy really impacted me when they came out. I'm like 12 or 13, maybe 14. My formative years, all these powerhouses showed up and uh, and those lessons. It's funny. I made all these artistic choices of what I would like when I was five and I and, and they're still with me today. <laughs> yeah, for me, I missed all that. For me, it was it was rancid. No effects. I mean, they were the big two. Um, yeah. because remember, the split? That, remember that split they did? Oh, mate, the no effects cover of Bob is just one, so of the, one of the greatest things ever. Yeah. And yeah. one of the, you know, proudest moments of my life was getting to interview Mike for the first time, Fat Mike. And he's since become a pal and we converse on, you know, uh, just a one-on-one -on -one level from time to time. And that, you know, is like, for me, it's like a childhood dream come true to not for just me. to meet and, and connect with these people, but to. I wouldn't say we're peers, but to reach a plateau where, you know, it's not, you're not looking up at this person as a fan anymore. You're there with them. 
on yeah. a, on an even playing field, talking about ideas and and life, and it's incredible. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh my God, Mike's amazing, isn't he? He's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. never a dull moment. <laughs> Tell me about Dolly Parton, George. So I watched an interview with you and her. I can't remember what the year was from. I'm guessing it was from maybe 15 or so years ago. You looked quite a bit um, younger in it, not that you look old now. You look beautifully (laughs) handsome now, but I could tell you were younger. I'm a busted up old man now. (laughs) I could tell you were a little bit younger. And uh, she says something along the lines of, you're very handsome. And she meant it. And you go, well, you, you know, you're very beautiful. And there's like a beautiful moment of, of genuine intimacy between you before the chat. I mean, when you're having those moments with a lady like that. It's a wow. bit weird. It's a bit surreal. Yeah. I, I've been lucky to interview Dolly a few times uh, in my life. Um, Dolly, to me, is an example of somebody who she, you know, she said this line, I've had nothing and I've had everything and I can live with both. And what I like about Dolly is that she has an amazing sense of self and then she understands the power of her image and she uses it to do good things for other people. I mean, she's inclusive. It's it's amazing how it's amazing how there are artists today who aren't, who are who are who don't understand that Dolly led the way. Yes, yeah, you know, with Dolly Parton. You, you kind of, you're not sure what you're going to get because somebody who is so um, professional and somebody who has been interviewed so many times and somebody who's so in control of her image, you don't know if you're going to get a real person. You don't know if you're going to get just the party line, which is what I expect from a lot of people who are big successes in the pop game. People forget that Dolly Parton is a world-class songwriter in a genre, in an era of that genre, genre where truth was really important. And part of the reason truth is important is because of Dolly. And the song she wrote. So you're talking to a trailblazer on every level. And she was so upfront and so honest and so charming and so funny. That's what I like about Dolly. She gets she gets it. You know, she's not self-important. She's self-aware aware. And that's that's a huge difference. I'm dude, I love Dolly Parton. Like I I, I listen to I to this day, her and of course the Whitney version, when I will always love you comes on, I will tear up every single time. And I am, I am so grateful to have been alive in an era where that song was constructed. <laughs> you know, to hear that. So, like as a songwriter, Dolly Parton can still devastate me. Can still devastate me um, every single day. That to me is so. And so, to be able to share those moments with her were pretty fun. But yeah, she's lovely. I tear up all the time from from films and music. They're they're really the two things that I, life doesn't make me as cry as much as a heart. Same, same. I, I don't I I don't cry in my regular life about anything, but I'll watch a show or a, or a listen to a song and I will I will well up thinking about it. I listened to a spiritualized album, ladies and gentlemen, we're floating in space, probably more than any record in my life, probably. And every single badly drawn voice record, the hour, I, I would be able to use. I Every single time I hear it, I am overwhelmed by those records. Every single, t- but real life, I can handle that shit. Why do you think that is? I've never thought about that. It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Maybe it's because we refuse to let ourselves express in real life, and and we just gave the keys to the artist. Maybe maybe all that emotion's in there, and we're just bottling it and <laughs> compartmentalizing it, and only and somehow in our DNA, maybe or or maybe because that's what maybe a therapist would say. But the way I look at it is that I don't 
if I'm being really honest with you, bro, and I, I don't really care about my experience in life. Like I don't, things happen, things are random. Like I don't, I don't want to be overwhelmed by my emotion because of things that I'm experiencing in my day to day, because I just want to be able to, I want to be more Bruce Lee about it. I want to be more Buddhist about it, right? Just, just be there. You can't end pain, but you can end suffering, that kind of thing. But we still have this innate desire to express and feel. And maybe, you know, people like you and I, and a lot of people who I'm sure watching are listening to this, maybe they have that too. And so artists are just our people mm. who can get that out of us. And it's not because we're bottling, although we probably are. It's because we because we just love to share that moment with them. Maybe that's what it is. I mean, it's there. It's so ready to to surface with me. It's just bubbling at right at the top. And it's like, right, okay, the tears of the tears are flowing. Um, let's talk about uh have you ever interviewed Dolly's goddaughter, Miley? Because she for me is a fascinating entity in pop culture now today. She's one of the few people who's top of the pop tree that I genuinely respect and admire and am really intrigued by. And she seems really authentic and really invested in in her art for all the right reasons is she someone you've interviewed or, or had interactions never, never, with never never her but her dad but her dad for sure um yeah you know miley musically I, I it wasn't my thing so i was never connected to it right but i came to really i i, I never had a problem with miley but i came to um really respect what she did with her platform and you know that great stuff she did with laura jane grace and with joan jett yeah and man doing the I replacements see, cover so good yeah yeah androgyn oh my god what a, what a great song that is by the way uh what a great song um so I, I i like miley today i like who she is i see people are always you know we live in an era now where on social media every there's a whole bunch of people making fun of miley's voice because of the way it sounds now when she talks uh on social media and i'm like what are you doing like her voice she shredded those vocal cords trying she tried to try and so yeah i i don't have i never crossed paths with her have you interviewed her no i'd love to yeah she's i'm joan jett you mentioned there as well that's and for me joan jett is like lemmy you know one of these people yeah. who is just so iconic and such a foot soldier of rock and roll yeah. i think she is like the female counterpart of lemmy or she's even beyond gender i'd say joan jett she's just a rock and roll badass absolutely you know lemmy once uh I was like I talked to Lemmy once at like 10 30 in the morning on a Saturday and uh he's pouring a Jack and Coke. Uh, I think it's Jack. Oh yeah. And had to be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And it was myself and it was the camera operator. And the camera operator, he says, Hey, you want you want a Jack and Coke? And the operator goes, No, I'm all right. No, he goes, No, I'm good. And Lemmy, without looking at him, pouring Lemmy goes, I didn't fucking ask if you were good. I asked if you wanted a Jack and Coke. <laughs> <laughs> it's three in the morning. I love it. Eleven in the morning. Um, uh, God, I love Lemmy so much. I love Lemmy so much. And and Joan Jett, a huge influence on me. You know, in the pop world, the the ones that I, I Lady Gaga, I got to spend time with Lady Gaga and, and watch watch her work and and see just how much good she's doing and what a great space that she has created. So uh, I remember interviewing Britney Spears. When I worked at Much Music at TV Channel, I definitely interviewed a lot more pop stars back in the day. A lot of back in the day. These days, it's... Um, Did you interview Eminem at the peak of his kind of yeah, controversial I got to, fame? Yeah, I got, 
I got thrown out of a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> what, for asking the wrong type of question or what? Yeah, yeah. I was asking the wrong question. To doc- I thought I was asking the right question. They didn't. Um, yeah, Eminem. You know what was the best at that era was 50. 50 Cent, because 50 Cent uh, was truthful. 50 Cent wasn't afraid to go to real places in conversations. You know, I have, I love, I love, obviously, a lot of the music that Eminem made. Um and, and Dre, of course, but 50 to me was a different kind of truth. And I, I really, really appreciated spending time with him, you know, but I'm, I'm a Wu-Tang guy. So, so uh, the RZA, I learned a lot from the RZA over the years and Ghostface and Raekwon speaking with them. I just like, I like people who really want to tell the truth and want yeah, to explore man. what that means to them. Uh, 50 was definitely like that and nobody came out the blocks hotter than 50 cent like nobody when 50 cent video i was working at much music at the time when 50's first video dropped everybody was oh you could feel that culture was changing you know uh and i love the fact he's also i think the only person i ever interviewed that wore a bulletproof vest during the interview was 50 cent and it wasn't a fashion statement <laughs> it was not a fashion statement yeah <laughs> Hey, D, let me ask you this. Like, for yeah. me, you're one of the kings of interviewing. Uh, and now we're in this culture where, you know, especially with podcasting, you know, long form interviews are, are, you know, more popular than they've ever been. I know you're doing your music show on Apple. That's great. I saw recently you had my friend Sumo Psycho on. Love those guys. Some of the hardest working, most creative, you know, hustlers in the game. Absolutely love them. Have you thought about doing this? I mean, because you'd obviously get the best guests, have amazing chats. Is there any, is there any you know part of you that would like to go back to doing interviewing in a more long form? You, obviously, you get to control everything as well now because we're in that culture too. Yeah, um, yeah, I have. I didn't for a long time. I stayed away from it for a long time. For you know, in part because I. I felt like I needed some distance from it as on a day to day to take another step. You know, I think I've, I've been doing this now. I think my first radio gig was 32 years ago. So, you know, I've been doing it a long time. And so what you were like, what, 17 or something when you started? Yeah, yeah. yeah wow. I was 18, 18. Yeah. 18. My friend built an illegal transmitter um, and we broadcast out of a mall on the west side of Toronto. Pirate and radio style. Pirate radio. Love yeah, it. That was my first, my first illegal gig. And then, so I needed, I felt like I just, I, I needed a moment away from the daily conversation because I wanted to, I wanted to learn new things about life so I could bring them back to interview. So I, then I did that and I started to bring them back. So I'm doing it more and more. That's why I started a book thing, Strombo's Lit, right? With Apple Books. Because I wanted to interview authors, I found that a lot of great stuff can be can be dug out of the pits of an author's mind for sure. And I am I am starting something. I am starting a new interview thing, but it's not it's not a podcast per se. It's okay. not a podcast per se. Chat, so chat show is it? You bringing back the chat show? Different version of it. A different version of it. Uh, a different version of it for sure. Because there's one thing that I do that a lot of people and uh, you can do it. But a lot of people in the podcast space can't do it the same way. So, which I think is was is adding stakes to it. So I'm adding stakes to this next project, which I think could be kind of fun. So yeah, I am working on something now, um, and I think I'm not quite sure when I'm going to launch it, but it'll be soon. It'll be soon, and it's going to be fun, and it'll be long for. I'd love to have you on it. I'd love to have you on it. 
that would um, be an, an honor, mate. An honor. Love to have you on it. I think I think there's something about you know a lot of the people that I, I I really loved listening to over the years and watching have taken some really strange political positions that I don't I don't see the value in. And uh, as a person who's been on behind a microphone or a camera for this long, I understand why they've made the choice they've made to build an audience, keep fame, do whatever. But I find it to be divisive is an over word because I don't mind things being divisive because the world's fucking brutal and it's there are divisions and we have to stop being hippies about it and go, can't we all just get along? We can't all just get along. By the way, throughout history, we've never all just got along. And I think that I think that people with my political point of view sometimes get caught up in this fucking language of of you know it's just everything's a descriptor without any action. And I, I want action, but I'm watching these guys that I thought they were really counterculture powerful voices take what I believe are the wrong side of history positions. So I want to the what I'm that's one of the places I'm creating is a place where if you're tired of that kind of shit all the time you know come hang out with us that's the thing that i'm working on where because there's some things that are just basic human rights issues and they're not political there's some things that are not i don't care what i don't care what nazis think i don't i don't care what white supremacists think i don't care what homophobes think that, that to me that's not a political position right you don't have a like there's policy you can debate and i think policy is actually what drives our culture forward and culture needs to be talked about but somebody who is transphobic is not is, is making the world a worse place and i don't really understand how these once smart people don't see that mm. well what's the battle there as well you know <clears throat> it's no threat to them you know, maybe the root of it is they're being tricked into thinking it's a threat to them by the media and the government. But when you see these hateful people, they're often on the defensive, but there's no attack against them. And so it's completely illogical. It's a distraction thing is what you're talking about. This is a distraction mm -hmm. thing. to You know, they're, they're making people, they're making citizens who are all poor, by the way. All of us are like, even if you're rich, you're not rich in this era, right? Like it's a hard life for most people. And what they're doing, and I understand there's a very big difference between rich and poor, but they're distracting people with these little culture battles um, that aren't, as you say, they're not problems. They're not problems so that they don't pay attention to what's actually the problem. You know, the diminishing wages, the loss of benefits, all the things that are happening to people in this world, uh, no good jobs, the need for these kinds of jobs just to buy groceries. What it costs, the head of lettuce costs today is ridiculous, right? So um where, where banks get bailed out so they want us fighting and i understand that there are people who will be watching this will be like oh, yeah but and i honestly i don't i don't care I, I grew up listening to punk rock bands that told me that like here's the whole phrase it man metal music made me realize i was going to be okay and punk music made me want to make sure you were okay and if i'm not using my position especially guys like us who have microphones and cameras and you know we have white privilege and male privilege and all that stuff our job is to use our fight to protect people not to not to attack them and so that's that's that was my punk rock translation and so i i want to do shows that do that not not partisan show i'm not talking about that i don't want to make a political show anymore 
But I want to make a show where, where people who can disagree and do disagree can sit and talk to see if we can understand why we disagree. And in that, we'll have long-form conversations because I think that... Well, I debate that, is key, isn't it? That's what's lacking is people shutting down conversations yeah. far too early in their yeah. evolution. Because totally, totally. only through conversation can you hope to connect, at think least somewhere the, in the middle. <laughs> think about the Beastie Boys evolution from license to ill and what they were saying lyrically and how they were behaving. They were kids. To Paul's Boutique, which was this Sergeant Peppers of a record, mm. which started to change the game. To the Check Your Head ill communication era the Tibetan Freedom Concert era, the Beastie Boys evolved. Are, yeah, and they're kind of the model. Because when we're young and we're dumb and we say shit because we think we're supposed to say shit, I think it's really important to look at what's on the other side of the line and think, hey, am I helping or am I hurting? <laughs> right? And And I think we have to be given the right to grow, but we have to do the work to grow. So I I'm, I look at the Beastie Boys in a way of kind of like, that's the model. That's the model for me. So the Beastie Boys are a big influence uh, on me, and they'll be a big influence on this new show that I'm doing. There we uh, go. Got, um, it's timely that I wore the jacket with the Beasties on them. Yes, yes. <laughs> Dude, I think the Beastie Boys are, as big as they were, are criminally underrated. Mm. Criminally underrated in this era. Certainly by the quote-unquote serious critics. Because as you say, Paul's Boutique, all hip-hop heads would agree is a game-changing record. Yeah. It wasn't until DJ Shadow's introducing where I heard something that was like that to me. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Something you say there about helping or hurting, another thing that I think about a lot is, are you a giver or a taker? 
and, and in my social life as much as in you know on cultural or political platforms just like are you adding to the situation or are you taking away yeah. and it's okay to not know uh it's it's okay to not understand complex issues there are lots of complex issues that are being discussed today that i don't know i don't know so I, what I, i'm clueless <laughs> right so if, so my, my default position is if i don't fully understand this i'm going to err on the side of the most inclusive the most protective not protecting my interests i don't care about that there are lots of people protecting our interests is a vulnerable community at risk of course they're vulnerable so if i don't understand the complexities pick, pick an issue around the world i just came back from syria it's a very complex situation in Syria. What were you doing over there? Was that a work trip? Was that just like yeah. a personal pilgrimage? Or what well, I, I work with the uh, World Food Program uh, for the last, I guess, twelve or thirteen years now, and Syria is a place that is wholly compromised by so many factors. Um, so I wanted to go. I wanted to do my part to help, and I knew that it was a difficult place to get into. And there, you know, there it was a place that a lot of people didn't think I should go that they didn't think it was safe. They didn't think that they would let me in, all those things. They let me in and it was safe and it was amazing to be there. And it's a community that in many places have been devastated. It's not the country that you hear about in the news, Syria. It's not. Um, and there are a lot of complex issues. And someone goes, well, this and that and this. I'm like, true. But these people need electricity and they need food. So I'm going to do what I can, right? I, I don't understand the complexities of all of this stuff, but that's not really my responsibility. Well, and, th and that's not a political issue either. As you say, that's a human rights issue. They need a roof. They need water. Right. It ain't about totally. left or right. Totally. And I, 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 so there are complex conversations happening, but what's not complex is, are you creating a space for people who are vulnerable, people who feel vulnerable, um, are you creating, are you, are you part of their solution? And that's, I don't tell other people how they should live their lives. Cause honestly, this fuck it, do your thing. But I think, I think it, it's a much lovelier world. If we, if we try to do that, you know, to, to protect it again, I can't do, it. I'm just a fucking dude with, you know, I'm just a, a citizen trying to do my part. We all do our part in the way we can do our part. Um, and these are the kinds of conversations I want to have. And I don't want to have them in traditional media. I don't want to have them. I don't. I, I, I was offered a couple of talk shows and I, I said no to them in traditional media back a few years ago. And I just don't want to do that anymore because I, I want, I think independence, going back to our big inspirations, right? I think independence is really, is really the place to be. And it kind of always has been you know, the place to be. And I, that's, that's, so that's where I want to go to next. Uh, and something's in the works. Well, you, where you're at is the benchmark for me, mate, because, you know, you have such a massive platform and following that you've built over, you know, consistent, great work for so long. And, you know, someone like you doesn't need traditional media. Uh, and I love that about where you're at and seeing, you know, stuff like the house of Strombo and, Obviously, you're working with Apple, and that's you know sort of traditional, but it's you know it's the the forefront of modern, progressive traditional, <laughs> if there is such a thing. But like you know, someone like you can pretty much do anything at this stage, and what an amazing place to be. And I want to ask you this real quick: 
I've noticed, as I'm sure you have over the years, that all creatives have their specific fan base and each one is unique to like the artist or the, you know, the spokesperson is the lighthouse, right? And certain people are attracted to different shades of light. Um, there must be, in a broadly speaking sense, a type of person that you come across time and time again that's familiar with your work because of who you are and what you represent. And I imagine on the whole, that type of person is a pretty smart, cool, relatable, down-to-earth, decent person, right? I would imagine your quote-unquote fan base, to use that word, if you're not too uncomfortable with that, is something you must be aware of and, dare I say, pleased with. I'm, I'm very lucky that the crew of people that seem to connect with me over the years, and again, sometimes it's a bigger audience, sometimes it's a smaller audience, what they are are passionate. And, and what I find really interesting about them is they're open. Like strong opinions, strong points of view, but you know, you said something really interesting. Uh, many things today, but one of the things you said was that people shut down the conversation too early in their evolution. I find that because I say things that are challenging, right? I do these late night live streams on Instagram all the time, and they're challenging things. Some of the things I talk about, and people are open. They're open and reasonable, and I think that that is definitely a part of the core of the crew of people that I, that I, I tend to hang out with the most that I, I meet who, who responded music fans and people who loved uh, the kinds of interviews I used to do because what they liked about our interviews is that they were, it was diverse. Mm. I, I meet people. I, I tend to connect with people. It appears who have diverse um, interests, which I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that. You got like, maybe of all, of all the stuff I've done in my career though. And um, maybe you can relate to this. The thing that brings me the most joy is when someone says to me, uh, you introduced me to my favorite punk rock or metal bands. Because I used to host a punk TV show called The Punk Show and a metal show called Loud. And so when they say, you you inspired my punk and, and metal tastes, that's where I feel like I've done God's work. I don't believe in God. So in this case, Lemmy. That's where I feel like I've done <laughs> this, this is where I feel like I've done Tony Iommi's work, you know? Um, is is knowing that there's a whole bunch of people out there who are 12 years old watching late night tv in canada and we aired in finland in argentina and we aired in mexico in the u.s and they were like some of the first times they heard you know pick a band like refused you know it was because i played them on the show or 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 they the first time they heard deep purple even because i was playing weird videos from them and it was just metal and punk to me are, I love all I love pretty much all genres of music, but that metal and punk fan base that that I first met, right? Well, they're they, lifers, aren't they? Right, that's it. That's it. They're lifers. Now, look, there's lots of them, especially in the metal world, who don't like my politics because I'm too left wing for them. <laughs> but that's but that's okay. You know, that's okay. We can still bond over. We can still bond over. Like I don't I don't like Dave Mustaine's politics all the time, but I got no disrespect to Megadeth. You know, and I so I, I love I love I'm talking to Dave again tomorrow and I can't wait. Um, so we disagree on a lot of political issues. I don't I don't have the same spiritual values that Alice Cooper does, but I love talking to Alice Cooper. You know, that was that was my first face to face interview. Oh, dude, it was Alice wow. Cooper. And he I was so terrified going into that. But he, for me, showed me right out the gate how you can be the most famous culturally ubiquitous star which i believe he is certainly in the, the rock world there's nobody bigger than him because you know everybody from the old lady on the street to the five-year-old in the kindergarten 
playground. Everybody knows Alice Cooper because um, he's beyond music, but he was so lovely, so cordial, so gentlemanly, so gracious and generous and awesome. And I was like, he, wow, if he can be cool, anybody can. He used to hang out with Groucho Marx. Like, you know, and, and Salvador and would, Dali and yeah. Salvador Dali. And I believe, I believe that Alice Cooper was the first artist to ever appear on the cover of Forbes magazine as a business. Like, like Alice's, I saw Alice Cooper on the Muppet show when I was five, coming out of a coffin singing Welcome to My Nightmare on a kid's show. And I believe that's when the light switched off in my eyes. I, that moment is when I became the, the the lover of the dark music you know, that I became. I believe it's because of that one moment with Alice Cooper. Yeah, he's the greatest man, the greatest yeah. to ever do it. And what a what a lovely human being. The best. Absolutely. What a gift that you got to see your first face to face with him. Wow. Yeah. I took so, my nephew to his first ever concert to see Alice. My nephew was like 13 years old or 12. And it was Alice and Rob Zombie on tour. And so I took my nephew to meet Rob and Alice. And Alice says to Luke, my nephew, he says, Hey Luke, make sure you sit close. Let's see if we can't get some blood splashed on you. And I looked at my my nephew and I said, you're too young to understand just how amazing that is. But one day, one day that story is going to be everything to you. What that is so cool that Alice Cooper wants to splash blood on you. What about cool uncle points right there? That's it, isn't it? (laughs) Top tier. Um, Dude, as we approach the end, there's a couple more things I want to pick your brain on before I let you go. And thank you. Thank you so much for your time, man. This has been even more awesome than I hoped it would be. Um, so what, in terms of repeat interactions, have you found, cause this for me is really the secret to getting to some really special places in the interview is when you get to, whether you're friends or not with the person, but there's a familiarity. I love that evolution over time when it comes to, even if it's somebody you still are blown away by every time you're in their presence, it's, you know, the fourth or fifth time you're sitting down and as that evolves, the conversation evolves and for me there's nothing more special than that not in a sycophantic way like it's not about oh i'm buddying up with these people but it's like there's a shorthand there that you can then you know you can push certain buttons a bit more respectfully and and go to these more intimate and sensitive places because there's a mutual respect that evolves over time i love that so much about this work it's like life right it's trust it's trust and to be to be a good friend, to be a good partner, to be a good colleague, to be a good anything is the same to be a good conversationalist and interviewer is we won't always talk about the things you want to talk about. It won't always be comfortable. In fact, if it's not uncomfortable in places internally, we're not moving the ball forward. And I, I say this a lot to people in my life and I say this in general, which is I understand that everybody has their own relationship with what makes them feel safe and vulnerable and all that. But I think you got to find the line and then you got to hold that line because you got to push, you got to challenge yourself. And, and, and if the artist that you've had multiple interactions trusts where you're coming from, they don't really need to know where you're going. As long Love as you're that. going, as long as you're going together, they got to trust where you're coming from though. And you're right. Now the downside to that is if you're overly, not overly familiar, but interviewing your friends, this has happened to me when I've interviewed like an ex that I, that I dated and she would sit across from me on TV and you're like, shit, I know a lot, but now I don't want to say too much. So the danger is when you when you don't push hard enough 
because you're trying to be a little bit too protective. Interviewing your ex is really interesting. I've done that a couple. I was going to say that's a very unique situation. I haven't found myself there yet. There's still time. Yeah. There's still time. <laughs> were a, you, were a, you a couple who were publicly known to be dating, or was it right? Nobody so, knew. Nobody, nobody knew. Wow, that's even more yeah. intense. My own team that I worked with on the show didn't know. So, like, I'm very, I'm very, very private, right? Very, very, and I've always been. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you sit across from somebody and they look at you just before they, the, you know, the music's playing. You know, coming out of <laughs> We're going live in five. Yeah. <laughs> the music's playing and I'll just kind of lean in and we'll sort of look at each other and I go, fuck, here we go. And then you're on action and then you're on and it's live. And it's, so that's, that's really a thing. So yeah, you want to be, but I think, yeah, it's trust, right? And, and I think that really, I, I, I've loved it. I have it with Noel Gallagher. I haven't talked to Noel in a while, but certainly had it with Noel Gallagher. Um, have it with the Metallica guys, with James uh, and with Robert. I love Robert Trujillo so much. I just went, his son uh, had their album release party around the corner from my house. So Robert, I went out and watched the, his son's band, Otto. Really good band, by the way, Otto. Um, I'm friends with Chloe, his wife. Um, oh, very cool. Oh, very I've nice. I had her on the show. And, and yeah, I, I oh. met her obviously through Robert uh, many years ago. And uh, she's just, you know, so friendly and, and, and gracious oh, and, and amazing. amazing. And yeah, got to see her in, in France at Hellfest last year. And yeah, oh, look, cool family, man, all, all the way from so the top cool. to the bottom, even to the dog. <laughs> That's right. And you know, man, uh, we, him and I were neighbors uh, in, a, in the hill in the canyons in LA. We were neighbors in Topanga. He plus like, and I, I sort of, when I talk to people about him, it's like suicidal tendencies. Yeah, yeah just screws suicidal was a really big band to me when i was a kid and they still are i probably have more suicidal merch than any band in the world um and obviously the fits but but i think everybody does uh has missed i've never missed this fucking tattoo you know but Love it. but yeah the, so so those guys and of course you know can a lot of canadian bands that i that i've known for a long time uh and you've interviewed a lot you have a real familiarity they trust you uh to go who's the one of... for you dude like the mount rushmore of canadian is it rush would it be rush rush is great it's neil young it's neil young i've never met him but to me to me i don't think there's been an artist who has laid out a better blueprint for how to do this than neil young and i mean that take all the artists in music to ever do this i don't think anybody's laid out a more sustainable beautiful blueprint than neil young it's i think his best record for me is tonight's the night the 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 this is a guy that wrote rocking in the free world which to this day is the news right this is a guy that could write beautiful love songs this is the guy who you know i think at one point maybe it was a voting member in the republican party at one point right now the republican party is very different than it was back then but and i only bring that up to say this this is the guy that goes out and does a tour called honor the treaties supporting indigenous peoples i there is nobody in my like joe strummer was hugely impactful to me for sure but for a guy who has never been irrelevant when in the 80s when all these tours were being sponsored by big brands neil young writes the this notes for you song and does a tour sponsored by nobody like to me neil and taking on Ticketmaster with Pearl Jam in the 90s and all of that I, business. Even I the dude who at the peak of what could have been a hugely successful 60s pop career, Buffalo Springfield, they're on the cusp of greatness. And he goes, you know what? I'm not feeling this anymore. I'm out. Nope. And just follows the muse and walks out the door. 
dude, and he was in a band with Rick James. And yeah, he's in a yeah, band yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like I, I don't think there's anybody from any country for me that I can identify who is, you know, maybe in his own way Bowie, maybe in his own way Bowie, but different. To me, Neil is always Neil. And I just, I, yeah, to me, that's the number one. That's my, you know, that's my right at the top. Nobody better than Neil Young for me. I'm a Bob Dylan guy, of course, but but like in terms of a blueprint for a career and a blueprint for a life to stay true to your values, to be punk as fuck, to be, I mean, he's a folk artist, he's a rock artist, that that crazy horse, like 17 minute jam, but not a jam band sound that they would do. The rust never sleeps, the arc well, like there's there's nothing. And then he writes Harvest like beautiful and i think you know after the like everything that neil done neil's done for me and then that stuff he did with daniel lanois right yeah, i love oh, him yeah yeah and obviously who's got better guitar tone maybe david gilmore from pink floyd but aside from gilmore i don't think everybody's got better tone <laughs> than neil young i love hearing you talk about music man the knowledge mixed with the passion is clearly why you've you know been so successful at what you do it's infectious and it's it's really really cool to um, just see that somebody so long into the game still feels the same way as when they started. You know what I miss, dude? I can t- thank you for saying that. And I don't know if you feel this. Uh, I've done this for a long time. You've done this for a long time. I have never, I haven't lost an ounce of passion. Uh, in fact, I have more fire than I've ever had. And it's really, it's, it's what I miss is being like, I just want that collective. I want to be around people who have that same fire. That's mm-hmm. the thing. You know, in, in an isolated world, you know, my radio show, I'm by myself on the air, right? So you're just by yourself. And that's, you don't have the same kind of thing. You know, it's that kind of fire. I've never, I will never lose it. I don't think I ever will. Like I, because it's never been about me. It's always been about how it feels, you know? And and to me, that's the most, and how we feel together, talking about music and sharing music. And, and I mean, I've seen your guest list on your show. You've talked to G's because they trust they trust your passion. And I, what, what did we talk about ranted? We both love ranted immensely, right? Mm. Um, it's, uh, it's all fashion. There's no passion. Is that the line that Tim says? Right? Yeah. Well, I think that, I think that's based on a Joe Strummer as well, where he said, passion is a fashion. Yeah. Yeah. You need passion and passion in a world where everybody's so like, there's so much disconnect. I think the human, like we need, I don't think we're creatures. I mean, sorry, I don't think we're beings. I think we're creatures. And we need that kind of warmth that brings each other together. And and I think passion is one way that we can, that's like a handshake that says, come on in. And what a great and, and blessed life you and I get, get to enjoy doing this as, as much, certainly for me, and I'm sure for you too, as a hustle and a grind and a struggle as this game can be and, and often still is for me. Um, these moments right here make everything else fade into insignificance. And then the conversation goes out and everybody else gets to hear it and they're like, fuck yeah, I, I get where these guys are coming from. I'm one of them too, less alone. I appreciate that. Um, I appreciate being here with you doing that. I think that's the key, right? You can agree or disagree with our points of view on individual issues, but what should never be up for debate is that it comes from a place of caring. And, 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 and everybody uses the community word a lot, and I'm not quite sure it means the same thing to everybody, but 
it's a place where we can move forward together. And these con kinds of conversations give us that. And there's that yeah, one person can, you know, if there's somebody who's listening to this, who's never heard of the band Crass, like. I went to Dial House to interview Penny and it was just one of the greatest days ever. He was so oh, lovely. He's like making God. me tea in a saucepan over the stove. And <laughs> Oh my God. You remember the first time you heard Crass? I was uh, 12 years old and I was, I fancied this girl who was 12. I was maybe 13. She was 12. Um, maybe we were both 12, 13 and her parents had gone away. And so my buddies, I would drove to her place. She lived out in the woods and my buddies went and did their thing. And cause I, you know, I didn't have a car. I was 13 years old, 14. And I just sat, we just sat in her basement and we listened to crass. <laughs> we were like kids, man. We were, kids. <laughs> we were listening to crass on tape in this girl's basement. Going, I um, like you. Of course they do. Oh of course they do. <laughs> I felt like I felt like I it would never it would never be as cool again. Like nothing could ever top. We were just 13. I don't know. Maybe we were 14, maybe we were 12, I don't know. But we were little. We were little. We were alone in her place. We didn't know what to do. We're just babies. And we listened to crass together. <laughs> and holy fuck, did my life change. It's the best, man. And music yep. still has the power to do that. And that's why I think we're still here and we're still in. And my final question to you, George, is I got to write two books during lockdown and going back through all my old interviews, I was like, wow, there's so much gold here. You have infinitely more gold than me. Have you thought about, I know you're not someone who looks back and there's still, you know, projects and, and everything that you're kind of up to now is all about the here, the now and, and looking ahead. But is a book project something you do in terms of either interview highlights or just, you know, your story? Because I, I think it's a fascinating one. And we've obviously barely scratched the surface today. I've, I've avoided it so far. I have been re approached a couple of times to write something. I've avoided it so far. I don't think I'm going to do it. I am writing one now, but it's not. It's it's a novel. It's a weird, strange. And I'm writing it to shoot it, to make it a, a film and a series. So oh, I'm wow. writing something now that is connected to i mean music plays a big part but it's connected to a lot of the themes i learned there's a you know bands like mayhem and and venom so it's it, it has a really dark uh origin story so i'm writing a novel now but a novella i'm writing a novella it's going to be 200 pages 150 pages but that's about it so i haven't i haven't i don't even have a speech like you know you go do speaking gigs like i'll do q a's with people but i don't have a speech written i wouldn't even know how to do a presentation because i don't feel like i i'm happy to talk this way and answer questions but i don't feel like i would ever want to instigate that conversation because <laughs> i don't think anybody cares you know and i'm always surprised like when you reached out and i like i said i've been following you for a while when you reached out to have me on your podcast I'm like what why do you want to talk to me i'd love to talk to you but uh, so i don't so i haven't got to that place in my head yet where i would write that book and i kind of feel like and this is going to sound ridiculous. And when I was 20 and I heard a 50 year old say this, I didn't believe them. But now that I'm here, I know what that 50 year old was saying. I feel like I'm just getting started. Like, I feel like I know things and understand things on a human level that I didn't know when I was 25, 35. How could I? I feel like I'm just getting started. So maybe what comes now will, will trigger that. Maybe the writing, but, but the, the novella is what I'm on right now. Um, and so that's taking, and maybe there's a little, there's a few of my truths and stories and things I've learned in interviews, you know, snakes through that story, but that's it so far. 
Well, that's that's one of the things, one of the many things that inspires me about you is you're very much, you know, excited and engaged with the creative process. And it's not about nostalgia or looking back. And, you know, for me, it was just COVID gave me that time. But, yeah, I love the fact that you're still you like books. Yeah. I mean, what else was I going to do other than drink a lot? So, yeah, I got um, I got a book deal and, and, and you know, kind of managed to blag myself a two book deal and and did two in, in the lockdown period in like the 18 month kind of shutdown. Yeah, man. I'm going to read those. I'm excited about that. I'll That's send you, I'll send you them out. I mean, so they're basically both compilations and highlights of, of my favorite interviews from the podcast so far interwoven thematically. Um, and then it's kind of my take on each subject at the start of each chapter. And, and so I tried to make it tell us a new story and, and take right. the reader on a journey that was unique and, you know, original um, with existing content. Right. It was a fun challenge. I'm going to go online and buy them. You don't even have to send them. I want to support you. I want to pay for them. (laughs) Oh, amazing. What a gentleman. Yeah, Life in the Stocks, just the name of the show. Volumes. Nice one, George. Really appreciate today. Thank you. March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.